0: We have been in a series called Anchor Points, and really the series is about some core doctrines, core beliefs, uh, very important things. And these are just some fundamental things, but they're also fundamental to who we are as a church. Uh, You know, I know that there's lots of churches and they have different uh, maybe things that they major on. And so these are four major things that we kind of uh, focus on. And so over the last number of three weeks now, uh, we've been in this series and I'm just kind of really wanting to help define who we are as a church. That's really my goal. Uh, and this isn't an exhaustive list today. I'm going to wrap this up, but it's kind of the four big things, if you will. They're not necessarily the top four, but they are very important. And, uh, but they also have a great uh, implication and they impact our daily life as well. And so Over the last couple of weeks in week one, which we started three weeks ago, I'll wrap up week four today. um, As I shared with you about our vision, in other words, it's not just our vision for the church is that, you know, we believe uh, in what God has called us to do. But uh, it's more than just the vision of the church is that this is actually God's plan for you is that God wants you to know him intimately and personally in a very real way, not in some other kind of second hand way. But God wants you to experience him for you. And so we say that as being able to know God. The second thing is that God wants you to walk and live in freedom. The Bible says in Galatians that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so, but we have to be sure that we walk in the freedom that Christ has provided for us. And so we want to help you do that. And there's a number of ways that we do that. Primarily it's through relationships, small groups, those types of things. But we also believe that every one of you is uniquely wired to be amazing at something specific. Uh, I say it this way, is that in your DNA, it's encoded for you to be great, uh, is that I really believe that. And so we want to help you figure out your design. We want to figure out what God has hardwired you for. Cause I'm, I've been a part of churches as you have, where somebody says, Hey, can you come and help us with this? And you're like, no way. I don't want to do that. That's not you know, what we actually want to do is actually figure out the way that you're wired so that the places that you are engaged and involved actually bring you joy. That it's not drudgery, it's man, this brings me life, it brings real fulfillment. And the last part of our vision is that we want to make a difference, because I believe every one of us is wired for significance. God wants to use us to impact the world around us, and it doesn't matter our age, doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how old, is that God has a purpose for every season of our life. And so... That's important. So that was week one. And I really, uh, if, if I was going to tell you one thing about it, I would go back to what I said a moment ago, which is that it's not just our vision for the church. This is God's vision for you. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go listen to these messages because I took you through multiple, I actually took you through four scriptures that day. And there's about 20 scriptures where you can see all four of those elements where God says, Hey, I want to do this in your life. It starts in Exodus six, verse six and seven. And he says, Hey, I'm going to deliver you or I'm going to, um, I'm going to deliver you out of the land of Egypt, but then I got to get Egypt out of you. And so I would encourage you, this is what God's plan for you. And God wants you to experience all that he has. And so uh, I would go back and listen to that. It's really our why it's our motive behind everything that we do. In week two, we talked about the supremacy of scripture and you're like, well, that sounds fancy. And it's really just the importance of scripture is that when we give God's word, the proper place in our life, the impact that it can have uh, is massive. And then last week, pastor John was here and uh, I was home watching online and uh, I have a cough drop in my mouth, by the way. So if I'm jostling this thing in my mouth. It's so that I'm not coughing the whole time I'm up here and um, I'm making every attempt to communicate well to you. And, uh, but he talked about really living on mission or living with a kingdom mindset. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It means making God's agenda, your agenda making what's important to God important to you. And, and so today I'm gonna to share with you about what I would call a spirit-empowered life. I believe that many of us are living lives that are well below the life that the Bible actually tells us that we can live. But it's not a life that we can live on our own. And so we really want to look at this. And so I'm gonna be sharing two ideas with you today that are kind of like sister principles, but when we understand them and we walk in them, it, it may be one of the most powerful truths that we can have in our day-to-day life. And so I'm going to be sharing some things with you today, specifically in regards to authority and power. And what does that really mean in our day-to-day life? Some, um, there was a book a number of years ago, many years ago now, that was called The Believer's Authority. And I believe that many of us never walk in the authority that we've actually been given from Scripture. And I'm going to share some things with you about that. And so this morning, and so say, well, why is all of this important? Because when we know who we are, we know what we're to do. Like when you know who you are as an individual and you know the reason that you are breathing air right now, the reason that God had woke you up today, then you know what to do. You know what your priorities are. And the same that's true for us as individuals is the same that's true for us as a church. When we know who we are, we know what to do. It, it makes it much easier to figure out what God expects from us when we know that. And so the idea of these anchor points that we've been sharing about over these last couple of weeks is very simple. Anchor points are the things that hold you in place when the waters get rough. That's the purpose of an anchor. It holds you steady. It holds you steel. And the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says that we have this certain hope like a strong and an unbreakable anchor being Jesus that's holding ourselves to God himself. And so even in the moments of our life where they're challenged and even in moments where we may feel like we may be drifting is that we actually, the Bible says, we have hope. We have a confident expectation that God is holding on to us. We're not holding on to him. I'm going to say that again. We're not holding on to God. He is holding on to us. So even in the moments where we may say, I'm just tired, I'm just exhausted. It's okay. It was never on you anyways. God is holding you. The Bible says in Isaiah that he's upholding you in his victorious, righteous, right hand. I love that. Because he's not just holding you in his hand. No, it's in his victorious hand. God doesn't lose. And we're going to share some things about that this morning. And so kind of getting into this, the part of the message for today. Have you ever found yourself? I've got a couple questions for you. But have you ever found yourself in a situation that you knew you couldn't get yourself out of? Anybody, anybody, no hands going up. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe it's because you're facing something or maybe you're like, I don't know how I got here and I definitely don't know how to get out. Or maybe you get in a situation and you're just clueless as to what to do next. You're like, I don't know how I got here and I don't know what to do. And you get in these moments or maybe fear seizes you and causes you to become paralyzed, just kind of freezes you. You ever had that? Like, you're just like, Oh, Oh gosh. I don't know which way to go and I'm afraid to move in any direction because anything I do is going to be wrong. Let me kind of boil it down even a little deeper and maybe you can identify with this. Is that, have you ever had the thought like it doesn't seem to matter what I do. It always seems like the devil gets the upper hand. And every time that I try, it just seems like that he just gets stronger and I get weaker. And it just seems like whatever I do is just wrong. And it doesn't matter how much I pray, and it doesn't matter how much I, I ask the Lord. It, doesn't, it just seems like I can't get traction, and I'm just spinning my wheels. You ever had a moment like that? See, I believe that um, many times that we have a distorted view of Satan. Is that we believe that he's a lot more than he actually is scripturally. And now, this comes through lots of ways. It comes through other people's experiences. Maybe it was phrases or things that people have said to you as you were growing up. You know, we get the idea of like, you know, that Satan is just so powerful. We get this through stories and movies and really bad theology. You're like, well, what's theology? It's a belief in God. My question to you would be is, does your theology actually agree with Scripture? Like, do you believe things about God that the Bible never said about him? Because if you have a theology that doesn't line up with Scripture, it's bad. Why? Because it's truth that sets us free and so, well, what's truth? Scripture. Scripture is truth. And how do I know God? I get to know him through his word. He, he reveals his character, his nature, who he is through his word. And, and so, but I can actually become, uh, I can actually have a false view of Satan and give him way more credit than the Bible actually gives him. Let me give you an idea of what I mean by this, about bad theology. People have made, I've heard people make the statement and make arguments and kind of say, well, you know, the, there was a war in heaven. When the Bible says that sin was found in Satan and there was a war. You want to know how long that war lasted? That long. Why? Because Jesus, and I'll show you this in a minute in scripture. It says that I saw Satan go like a bolt of lightning. God said, gone. That was the extent of it. He didn't even have to say it. He thought it. Boom. Done. In Revelations, it, it actually talks about at the end of time. That Satan and all of demonic powers come to fight against Michael. And it says, and it actually says in Revelation, there was a great war. And it says, but Michael and the angels overcame him because Satan and all of the powers of hell were not strong enough to overcome them. But the problem is that we think, oh, it's the devil. He's spooky. We got to run away. Like, devil, bad run. Let me just put it in my modern. Sometimes you got to stand up to a bully, resist the devil, and he will what? Bow up, says he will flee. Why? Because he realizes game's up. I can't influence them anymore because they found out who they are in Christ. They understand what the word of God has to say. And now they've got the upper hand and not me. The greatest tool and tactic of the enemy is to get you to believe that you're anything less than what the Bible says you are. Because if he can get you to believe something about you that God has not said about you, you will live below what Jesus has already purchased for you. It's just the truth. And so, you know, we we have statements like, oh, ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is not. Ignorance gets you hurt. Let me give you an example from Scripture. We're not going to have this on the screen, but I find humor in Scripture. This is probably one of the funniest passages of Scripture to me. I just see a lot of humor in it. It comes out of Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 17. If you're taking notes, you can jot it down because it won't be on the screen. But this is the account of a group of young men. And so I'm just going to read you the, the Scriptures here. And it says that there were a group of Jews traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits because they had gotten word that, hey, The disciples, the followers of Christ, they could go around and they were casting out demons and, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's go do that. These were actually preacher's kids, by the way. So they knew enough to be dangerous. You don't want to know enough to be dangerous. You want to know enough to be dangerous to the enemy. There's a big difference. And so it says, and these are key words, says they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. So they had learned it from somebody else, but they had no actual knowledge. It says, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit responded and says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? In other words, Jesus knows what the authority he has. Paul knows the authority that he has, but you guys don't know. And I definitely don't know you. I like one uh, the way I've heard it said before is like Jesus is known in hell, Paul is known in hell, but who in hell are you? <laughs> like, who do you really think you are? And the devil looks at the demon here, actually looks at them and goes, Hmm, cute. That's pleasant. And it says this is what happens. Now, remember, there are seven sons of Sceva, seven on one. It says the man with the evil spirit leaped upon them. I don't know how one jumps on seven, but he's a bad man, Bruce Lee or something. I don't know. says that he leaped on them and he overpowered them, all seven of them. He overpowered them and he attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened quickly spread through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. And it says a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of Jesus was greatly honored. Why? Because seven foolish people ran out there picking a fight with a devil that they didn't know anything about. We don't want to be those people. And we don't need to go out and pick a fight, but we also don't need to run in fear of the enemy. Why? Because the Bible says he is already defeated. You're like, yeah, but he's the God of this world. Yeah, but he's on a time. He's on a clock. He's the God of this world. But the good news is the Bible says we are not of this world any longer. We've been, what, pulled out. We've been separated from this world. Therefore, the enemy, as a believer, is no longer the God of my world. But I have to make that decision. You have to make that decision. See, we tolerate way more than we ever should. And I'm going to show you this today in Scripture. See, I don't know that these guys were... My belief is these guys probably weren't true believers. They were good church kids. They grew up in church. They knew how to say the right things. They knew how to go through the motions. The problem was they knew it here. They didn't know it here. And the devil knows the difference. Principality. They know the difference. Why? Because here it's just knowledge here. It's, it's actual understanding. It's conviction. There's real authority and real power. That's backing it up. And it's important that we know this. And so, but, and so because they didn't know really what they were doing, they got whipped up on. So here's my advice for you today. Don't be like Sceva sons. I know that's deep, very theological, you're welcome. You are very welcome. Don't be like them. And here's the good news, you don't have to be. But you do have to understand scripture and you do have to understand what the Bible has said as far in regards to what is yours. And so I'm not suggesting that we go run and look for evil spirits. We don't have to go looking. When they come, we deal with them. Now, this is what I would tell you, is I believe that things are way more spiritual than we think. And we tolerate and we put up with things way beyond to a degree that we never should, but we do it because we're simply not paying attention and we're not asking the Spirit of God the right questions. I've had this happen multiple times in my life where it just seems like chaos ensues. And it, unfortunately, I'm not that bright always. It might take me a few days, might take me a week, might take me a couple weeks. And I'm like, this ain't normal. And I ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, am I making bad decisions? Like, is this my fault? Have I opened the door to something that has allowed the enemy to, to gain access? Or is the enemy just trying to do a full on assault right now? Because if it's just the enemy, I have authority. And if I'm making bad decisions, I need to make better decisions. The pastor that I served used to kind of make the joke all the time that when we get to heaven that, 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 you know, we'll go to stand before Jesus and Satan's going to be there crying and say they blame everything on me. You do have a part to play in your life experience. Now, there are times that, hey, the enemy attacks and there's times that we just make bad decisions. We make bad choices. We have a bad confession. We move away from the truth of God's word and we start speaking things that are contrary to God. Well, it produces negative things in our life, but it's not always that. So you got to look if if things aren't going well, if you're experiencing some. And look, I'm not saying that you will get to a place where you're never going to face trouble. Jesus said in this life, you will have some issues. You're going to have some problems. I don't want to live in my issues. I want to grow. I want to learn and I want to move on. And so that's what I want to help communicate to you today as to how to do this. Isaiah 14 verse 16 actually talks about this a little bit. When it talks about really Satan, and, and you can go and read this in context, but this is really the account of where God is telling us this moment where Satan got cast down out of heaven like lightning. But at the end of towards the end of it, it says that in the end when everybody looks upon Satan, they will say, they will stare at you and ask, can this be the one? Who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble. Like really is this him? Is this what we were so afraid of? I was terrified of Satan and that's him? Because the thing about the enemy is he only has stealth and he only has deception. Well how do we counter deception? With truth. So we have to know the word of God. See, Jesus actually talked about this moment, and I want, to, I want to point something out to you here. It comes out of Luke 10, verses 17 and 18. So Jesus has been giving instructions to the disciples. He was casting out devils. He was doing these things, and he says, hey, guys, I'm going to send you out in my authority. Go out and do what I've been teaching you to do. And so they come back, and it says when the 72 disciples returned, it says they joyfully reported. This is very different than Skeva's boys. Their story was sad, doom and gloom. We got beat up. We picked a fight. We didn't know what we were doing. But the seventy-two come back, and it says that they, joy, excuse me, that they joyfully reported even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yeah, and so Jesus responds and says, "Yes, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning, moment of time." So Jesus dealt with the demonic, and so did his disciples. If you're a Christ follower. So can you. Now you gotta, yes, you need to understand some principles of scripture, but I, I kind of referenced this verse earlier, but Colossians 1.13 says that we don't have to, says this way, it says, we don't have to tolerate the work of the kingdom of darkness in our life. We've been delivered out of it and into the kingdom of God. I don't have to put up with it. Why? Because God has given me the ability it's not my ability, it's his ability on the inside of me. And I'm going to show you how and why we know this. And it's important. See, earlier I mentioned about having, you know, we're talking about two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Well, the Lord's Prayer actually talks about this. You're like, well, what is the kingdom of God? Simply put, I would tell you this, is that it's God's rule and reign in every situation. So in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10 says this, is to manifest your kingdom realm. In, this, in the side notes of the Passion, it adds, come and begin your kingdom reign. Now, we won't see the fullness of the reign of Christ until he returns. But that doesn't mean I have to wait till he comes to begin to experience it. I may not have the fullness of it. The Bible says that right now, we see through a glass darkly. In other words, I can only see vaguely, partly. But I would rather see partly than nothing. And I would rather experience what God has provided for me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus than I would to experience death, defeat, and chaos from the enemy all the days of my life. And so I need to understand what the Bible says. So it says, manifest your kingdom. The New King James would say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. The Passion says, manifest your kingdom and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus modeled, Jesus was the perfect example of every, he was the kind of the 10 out of 10. He was the perfect example of what it was like that we would be able to be once he paid the price for our sins. And what we became, what new creation in Christ. Why is that now the game has changed before Jesus went to the cross. There was nothing that anybody could do about Satan. I mean, go read the old Testament. Unless God supernaturally intervened, there was nothing that they could individually do. Jesus changed that for us in a very dynamic way. And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, and he actually gives both of these words here, 436, because there were a lot of people who taught the Bible, but when Jesus taught, people paid attention. There was something different. Not with the words that he said, but it says that the people were amazed and said, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The reason that Jesus could do this was because he had both power and authority. And this is really what I want to convey to you today. So let me put it in a... a, um, Kind of a a little better picture is that having authority without power is absolutely useless. That's the equivalent of having a badge without a gun. Mall cop. Right? Security guard. There's no, I'm not disrespecting those guys, but if you tell me to stop and I've done something illegal and you got a badge, but nothing to stop me from running. Away I go. Why? Because you have authority, but you have no power. I used to work for a specific retailer, and I was the door greeter. I was there because they were getting looted like crazy. And they thought, if we put a man at the front door, maybe people won't steal so much from us. Here's the crazy thing, though. I could only stop people if they were in the store. The moment they walked through the door, I could not follow them into the parking lot. So I had authority, but I really had no power. As a matter of fact, I actually saw this one time at another very large retailer. They stopped a guy at the exit with a basket full of stuff, had a baby uh, carrier, and they stuffed all kinds of stuff underneath it. And they tried to stop him. He left the baby carrier, the baby, and just darted out the front door. Why? Because he knew if I get out the door, they can't come and get me. So sometimes we may even understand, hey, I've got authority from God, but we're lacking the power to enforce that authority. So it's like having a badge without a gun. So let me just give you some baselines here. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus speaking to the disciples, which is, this is Jesus talking to you. He says, look, I have given you authority. Say these two words with me. Over all. Let's try that again. I have given you authority over all. Is there anything not included in all that we need to discuss? It's only three letters. All. The preceding words important too. Over all. Over all of what? The power of the enemy. It says you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. Don't go walking on snakes and scorpions, by the way. This is not talking about physical things. It's actually talking about spiritual things. Talk about bad theology. If somebody brings a snake in here, I'm the first one out the door. I don't like snakes, so we can't go in there. Bad theology. So this word authority, in the Greek, it actually is the word exousia. I don't know why, but when I, I've never really thought about this, but when I was studying and preparing this, the word exousia just made me, the the thought and the word came to mind of just oozing. Like, I'm just oozing authority. That's the way we should actually live. We should be so confident in God's word that, hey, it's not about me, but I know in the one whom I have believed and I know his word, and that's why it's important that we know scripture, because we got to know the truth. But if we know the truth, now we're, we can load our gun. I don't just have a badge and a gun. If I can put scripture, I'm putting a bullet in the chamber. Now, I'm on to something. And so, the, the definition of this word authority here, exousia, means that it's divine permission. It's the right to use the power of another. This is my definition. It's the ability to get results. I don't know about you, but I like results. I do. And so really what the the picture here that we get is actually like when I begin to declare God's word, it's like Jesus himself saying it over my life. So here's the truth that you have to know. There is no powerful voice in your life than your own. What you say about you matters more than what anybody else says about you. Why? Because you hear you more than anybody else. Somebody may call you a name one time, but you're the one who echoes it over and over and over. And the more that you say it, the more you believe it. So you have to take authority over these things. And and so even when the enemy comes into circumstances and situations in your life, you have authority over all the works of the enemy. This is very practical, everyday life stuff. This isn't just hypothetical, theoretical, like this is very applicable. Take it home, use it today. This one really thought process can actually change your experience every day. You're like, yeah, but I have hangups. Yeah, but you have authority over your hangups. Yeah, but I make mistakes. So do we all. So take authority and start walking in the authority that God's given you. And then you got to back that up with some power. I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 8 here. Um, Typically, I don't read all these verses, but I just felt like that uh, that I needed to. And so this is the beginning of the book of Acts. It's the beginning of the church. And it says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus. I don't know. I just feel like he's very regal, by the way. With a name like Theophilus. He had to have like a pretty sweet coat or something. I don't know. He just sounds very fancy to me. But he says... Then I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen disciples further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He starts showing up for 40 days to the the apostles, to the early believers. Like, where did he show up? Randomly, all over the place. That's why I think Jesus has jokes. They're in a locked room and he's like, hey, where did Jesus come from? He just appeared. And so he would show up and he would give further instructions, his parting shots, if you will. Hey, guys, I've been teaching you for uh, three and a half years. I'm about to leave. Here's what I need you to know. And so it says that during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them as if they needed more proof. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Remember, Thomas said, hey, unless I put my finger In the holes in his hand. I put my fist in his side. I won't believe that he's resurrected. And Jesus shows up and says. Hey Thomas. Right there. And it says. And he talked with him about the kingdom of God. He says, once he was eating with them and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift that he promised. John 14, John 16 talks about this, being the Holy Spirit. He says, as I've told you before, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Other translations say, with the Holy Spirit and with power, with ability. The word there is actually dunamis. It's God's power and God's ability. But there's a cooperation that has to happen with the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of God. He's as much God as Jesus. He's as much God as God the Father. He is the third part of the Trinity. There are three distinct elements, but yet the same person, the same being. You're like, wait, three identities? Yeah, it's confusing. I get it. The Bible calls it a great mystery. Three, yet the same. Jesus in John 14 16 says that I'm going to send one who is exactly like me, but is not limited to a body. Like, well, I wish I knew what Jesus was like. You can know. Get to know the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not spooky. He's not weird. He's very practical. Lose something and ask the Holy Spirit, where is it? You think I'm joking. That's a test. When you lose something, say, Holy Spirit, I thank you. I don't have a clue what I've done with my keys, but you know exactly where they are. And you'll be surprised. All of a sudden, a thought will come. You're like, they're over here in the drawer. It's amazing how that works. And so he's he's talking to them. And he says, look. And so Jesus says, don't go past go until you've received the Holy Spirit. And so the, the disciples or the apostles here says that they were with Jesus and they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel Israel, and restore our kingdom? Because see, the Jewish nation thought when Jesus came, he was gonna set up and he was gonna overthrow the Roman government and he was gonna set up a natural kingdom and they totally missed it because that was for a later date. Jesus says, I'm coming to establish my, my, uh, my heavenly kingdom. But I want you, to, and, and this was something that was really kind of neat when I was reading this this week and just kind of praying over it is that they're asking Jesus about, Hey, is it time for us to set up a kingdom? But Jesus's response was this. He says, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and those times and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now here's my thought for you. They asked a question and Jesus says, you don't need more information. What you need is more power. Information is not going to change you. But when you come in contact and learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it is a game changer in your life. Why? Because you can have all the authority you need, but you've got to have some power to back it up. Well, that power comes through the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like, well, well how, do, how do I build a relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Holy Spirit? You get to know God's word. The same way you get to know God, the same way you get to know Jesus, is the same way you'll get to know the Holy Spirit. You deposit the word of God into your heart, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring that word back up to you when you need it. But you've got to make some deposits. Like, well, I don't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me. How much do you engage with Scripture? Let me say it a different way. How often do you engage in Scripture? It's not really about the quantity as much as the regularity. Put some gas in the tank. Give it five minutes a day. Why? Because you're opening the door. You're inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and to speak. So why do we have this power? It's for influence. God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can actually leave an impact. So that we can make a difference, right? Well, we can't make a difference without the the power of God. We can't get anybody saved no matter how much we witness, no matter how good we live our lives, no matter how much money we give. No one, their eternity will never change without the work of the Holy Spirit. However, when I live my life and I give, And I serve and I love and I witness the power of the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and people's eternity can be different. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so this is very important. Have you ever talked to somebody and tried to witness to somebody and it's just like hitting a brick wall? My question for you is, are you trying to do it? Or are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to work? And bring about the opportunity in the right moment. See, in, in truth, when you got saved, you got a badge. You got authority. You have the name of Jesus. The Bible says that you're marked as one of his. You be, in a way, you became a target for the enemy. Because he's like, uh-oh, we got problems. We got to do something about this one. But when we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we get the power to back it up. So the concepts of authority and power is really the combination of this idea of rights with might. Let me give you a very practical example of this. My wife has legal authority to anything that I own. She has the right to it. She can go write a check for any amount of money that we have in our account. We are equal holders on our accounts. Everything is shared. So she has the right to it. She also has the ability to go to the bank and sign her name. And it's no different than if I signed my name. So everything I have, she has. It's a combination of right and might. He's like, why does that matter? Because you can go to my bank too. But the difference is is you don't have the right to go and get money out of my account. And they're going to say, I'm sorry, you're not authorized on this account. I'm going to ask you for an ID. You have the ability, but you don't have access to it. She does. Well, I've got good news for you. When we're talking about spiritual things, you have the right and you have the might. You have both. The enemy is just banking on the fact that you don't know it. He's just praying that you don't know And so it's important that we've got to know who we are in Christ because if we don't, the enemy will take advantage of us. Absolutely he will. And and so we've been given the name of Jesus. The Bible says it's the most powerful name on the face of the planet. It says at the mention of the name of Jesus that demons will flee. At the mention of the name of Jesus, things can be restored. Healing can come. Provision can come. Why? Because that's the authority. It's the seal of approval from God. Now, it doesn't mean that I can pray any and everything I want and just say, well, I'm going to throw Jesus in Jesus' name on the end and God's going to do whatever. No, go back to the Word of God. Anything that I can find in Scripture... Anything that I can find is every promise, every principle. It belongs to me and I have access to it because of Jesus. And so when I pray and I say, Father, I thank you. You said that you would drive sickness from the midst of my family. Psalms 91. I thank you. Sickness cannot stand. We're a house of health and of healing and wholeness. If I lack provision, I have El Shaddai. My God is more than enough. I don't just barely make it. My God's going to provide. I don't care if it's by the ravens that bring me dinner. God will provide. Like, oh, but that's just church talk until you get a hold of it. When you get a hold of it, it will change your life. And again, it doesn't mean that God is my, just my, um, the fix all for all of my things. That's why I need the Holy Spirit too. Cause he's going to say, Hey, you're broke, but let me tell you why. You remember that thing you bought on Black Friday? I told you not to buy that. You're like, but I'm hungry today. And he's like, you shouldn't have bought that. Take it back. Like, the Holy Spirit would never say that. Every time the Holy Spirit has ever prompted me, and you're like, well, how do you know? It's like a, this feeling. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not a voice, but it's like, I don't need to do this. I shouldn't do this. I'm like, nah, I'm going to do it. Every single time there's been Regret. There's been sorrow. There's been, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I know I'm not the only one in the room. You didn't realize that was the Holy Spirit trying to give you wisdom and say, (laughs) you, you, you don't know what's coming on Tuesday, but Tuesday's coming. You don't want to buy that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to say that. I've had the Holy Spirit tell me, shut your mouth. That one's hard. I'd rather not buy something. My favorite words are, you're wrong, but Holy Spirit, I'm not. The Holy Spirit is so practical. We've made him odd and strange, but he's not. So we have to understand who God has created us to be. And here's a very important principle. And this is not a, I can't say that I I necessarily, I mean, I, I believe I could support it with Scripture, but I can't say that it's a biblical principle, but it's just more of an experience thing. One of the things that I have found in my life, and if you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down, is that God will not do for me what he's already given me the ability to do. So let me give you an example. If you've got a spiritual attack going on, You may be praying, 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 saying, God, I think the enemy's at work. Make him go away. Make him go away. Make him go away. And he's thinking, you have the authority and I need you to grow in your authority. And if I bail you out, you don't grow. And I love you too much to baby you. And so God's saying, you have the authority I already gave it to you. Overall, not some. Now, we can grow in our authority. I mean, I don't know about you, but if somebody's breaking into my house, I don't want a 22 40 caliber, forty-five. Like, what do you say? Well, well uh, how do I do that? I have to grow in my spiritual maturity. As I grow in my spiritual maturity, the, my weaponry gets more powerful. Say, well, how do you know that? Well, because... There was a moment where somebody had brought one of their kids to Jesus and had a demon and they couldn't do anything about it. And the the man brings it, brings his son to Jesus. Hey, I went to your disciples and they've been casting out devils. They can't help my son. And Jesus takes authority over it. The demon comes out and the disciples come back later. It's like, yo, Jesus, you know what happened earlier? We've been casting out devils. We've been doing all kinds of stuff and it's been working great. (laughs) We're real joyful about it. Why couldn't we do anything about that one? And Jesus said, oh, well, it's because that was a different... That type can only come out through prayer and fasting. See, there is a hierarchy in the spirit realm. That's why the Bible talks about principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And there's actually levels, if you will. There's ranks, even with the angels. We see this in Scripture. But again... You've been given authority over all. It's not you, it's who's standing behind you. And it's who you represent. And when we're full of the Holy Spirit, not only do we have the badge, but we've got a gun. And we can take the scriptures like I talked to you about two weeks ago and I can load that bullet. Okay, now I'm ready to do some damage against the enemy. I'm tired of him ransacking my life and taking advantage of my life and seemingly always getting the upper hand and, and devil, I'm going to be the pursuer. I'm not running away from you. If you come near me, you, you better come ready for a fight. You're like, well, man, that, that just sounds aggressive. What's the alternative? Lay down and be taken advantage of? you got to have some spiritual fight about you. you got to have a backbone about you. And I, look, I'm just going to be kind of direct. I'm going to talk to you like if we were sitting across a table. You've got to stop tolerating some stuff. Why? Because things are more spiritual than you think. And the enemy is getting the upper hand and Jesus is going, it doesn't have to be like this. I've already paid the price. The Bible says that he has given us all things, all blessings in all the spiritual realm. Why? So that we could walk in the authority and the power of God. So that I'm not just drifting at sea as the waves and the winds come. No, I've got an anchor that will hold me steady. And you're like, yeah, but my feelings. Stop listening to your feelings and start telling your feelings how to feel. There's a big difference. And look, and I'm an emotional person. I get fired up about stuff and I get ticked off about stuff. And I'm like, ah. my wife's calm down. I'm like, you need to calm up. You need to get fired up. (laughs) But let me, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. The devil will have the upper hand on you until you get tired of it. Until you get fed up enough. I don't remember what cartoon it was, but, oh no, it was Popeye. Man, thank you, Holy Spirit. I can't stand it no more. You know what I'm talking about? He goes, and gets his little spinning. And And all of a sudden, this rinky-dink little man becomes Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's game on you got to get to a point where you can't stand it no more that's really good English my mom would be so proud of me right now Mama just quoting a cartoon at some point you got to draw a line in the sand and say enough enough and it's not just well enough is enough and that's just going to fix it no Figure out who God has called you to be. you got to know God. you got to really know him. I know the one in whom I believe, not the one that my mama knew, not the one that my pastor knew, not the one that my friends knew. No, I know God. I have a relationship with him. And because I have a relationship with him, now I understand who I am. Because when I find out who he is, I actually find out who I am. My identity is rooted in him. And all of a sudden, it's not my authority as David. No, I'm a child of the most high God. And I don't have to put up with all this junk. And devil, I see you and I'm going to take authority over you according to the word of God. Go look in Luke chapter 4. How did Jesus overcome the enemy in the wilderness? He began to declare the word of God. He didn't say, oh, I am God. You go look at that account. The thing that the devil attacked with Jesus was his identity. If you are the son of God, that wasn't a question for Jesus. But Satan tried to get him to question it. Hey, if you are, prove it. And Jesus said, I ain't got to prove nothing to you. I know who I am. And he responded with the word of God. And he tried three different times to tempt him. And every time, Jesus took authority over him. And here's the thing is the Bible says that in the end of that trial, of that test, the Satan got the bright idea, like, hey, I ain't making any progress. And it says that he left him to try to find a more opportune time later. The enemy left. Why? Because he stood up. There was a line in the sand. And for some of you, it's time to draw a line in the sand. Enough is enough. I've had enough lack. I've had enough sickness. I've had enough depression. I've had enough chaos. I've had enough anxiety. Every one of the things I just named for you are things I've had to stand against in my life. And there came a point where enough's enough. And I can't do anything about it. But I know the one who can. And his name is Jesus. And when I can go to him and I can stand in his authority... Heaven is waiting on you. The Bible actually gives us a picture in Psalms. It says that the angels will hearken to the word of the Lord. I love the picture. Our language is not very visual, but the Hebrew language actually gives us a picture of like a track star in the blocks. I used to run track, and so you have the little starting blocks that you're in when you're in a sprint. If you're in a long one, you just do this, but in a sprint, you have to get down and you're in the starting blocks and you're waiting for what for that gun to go and it says that the angels in heaven are in the star are in the blocks waiting for somebody to begin to declare god's word in their life and it says what they're coming they're coming isaiah says that no word of god will ever return void but it will accomplish that which it was sent to do well wait think about this though every word of god will not return void God sent his word and healed them and delivered them of all of their destruction. Well, how does God's word return to him when I begin to speak it? God's word will not return void when I begin to declare it, when I begin to say it. And it's more than just mental theater. It's got to be real heart knowledge. It's got to be, man, oh, I, the word of God is true. The word of God is true and let everything else be a lie. I don't care if it's somebody. I don't care if it's my own thoughts. I don't care if it's my own feelings. No, the word of God is my truth. And I'm going to stand upon my truth. Why? Because I've been given the ability. The Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Like, well, how do I get this Holy Spirit? You invite him in. Just like you got saved, you invite him in. I don't have time to teach in depth on it today. We have it on the podcast. It's on the website. Go back and read it. Go back and listen to it. But the power of the Holy Spirit is a game changer. But we have to marry the two concepts. We've got to have both of them. We need the authority of Scripture. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. If we can tap into both of those, your life will be drastically different. So stop putting up with the devil. Stop putting up, stop top tolerating what the enemy wants to do in your life. Enough's enough. And some of you need to come to that point and just say, "Nope." I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but I ain't going back there. Devil, you've been lying to me long enough, and I've been believing it long enough. That old man is dead, and I'm not bringing him back to life, and neither is God. Jesus, when I stand before him, is not going to take me into my past and say, let me remind you of how I found you. And say no. Let me remind you of who I, who I am and what I did for you, and who you are in me. Why? Because all those things are washed away because of the blood of Christ. And so, this morning, I want to encourage you. you this may be one of those messages you need, might need to go put on repeat a few times. By the way, because you got to get it out of here. You got to get it down to here. I mean, statistically you only heard a third of what i've shared with you in the last 45 minutes. So at least 3 times you might get the majority of it. See, any time that i'm challenged with a truth, i put it on repeat, literally on repeat. I listen to it for days at times until i know that it moves from here down to here. And i listen to it until i get it. Not just a one time thing. We got to move it from head knowledge, just written, understanding, and really get it into life like this is who I am. But that little distance from here to here, that little 12, 15 inches, huge difference in your life. So I want to pray over